This is an ohs.com.au production. Welcome to episode 43 of the Australian Health and Safety Business Podcast. I'm Brendan Tarazzi, the host of the show, and today I'm with Harold Baldry from HBA Learning Centres. Hi, Harold. Hey, Brendan. How are you? I'm very well. Now, you, I see you as kind of like the leader of Australian health and safety qualifications. Do you think that's a, an accurate portrayal? Look, I think I'd like to think that, but I'm not necessarily sure it's 100% true, Brendan, right? I mean, we're one of the reasonably major players, but um, hey, who knows? Nobody nobody actually broadcasts how many people they're enrolling in their yeah. courses, Brendan. So how long has HBA been around for? Well, it's an interesting story, HBA. I mean, if you go back in time, I had a successful recruitment business which involved labour hire and also involved executive recruitment. I was a corporate headhunter for many years and still actually do that. Yep. And in about 2004, a dear friend of mine came to me and said, hey, Howard, he said, I'd like you to check my salary for me. He said, I'm working for a not-for-profit RTO in the wonderful state of Queensland. He said, and I think I'm not being paid appropriately. So this, this man then explained to me what his duties were, which was basically running an RTO, doing facilitating, doing assessing, etc. And when I asked him what he was being paid, he said $40,000. And I said to him, look, I'm sorry, I think you're being absolutely done over. He said, I yeah. thought I was. He said, can you tell me? Do you know anybody who might want to have an RTO? I said, I don't, I'm afraid, because I travel in more corporate circles, bigger businesses, and they don't have any interest. He said, well, what about you? He said, going back in time, you had a training business, which you sold. Um, Brendan, I used to have a, a soft skills training business, which did sales training and presentations and those sorts of things. And I sold it in 1990 because I heard these things called RTOs were becoming the rigueur, and I... I wasn't sure what that meant to non-RTOs. So I said, I'll never forget, I said to this guy who was a dear friend and still remains a friend, I said, what will it cost and how long will it take? And he said, oh, I don't know, probably three or $4,000 in fees and I don't know, maybe five or six weeks. I often laughed, Brendan, because $108,000 near 11 months later, we became an RTO. Wow. we were one of those lucky RTOs, Brendan. You know, in business, somebody who is a very wealthy businessman businessman once told me, if you do well in business, you've either got to be very lucky or you've got to be dishonest. And so we were lucky because the first thing that we stuck on our scope was called TAA 40104, which was a certificate for in training and assessment. And it had just been released. Well, all of a sudden... We were going crazy. And we were only doing this in Queensland because I thought I'd opened something for my mate to have a job. And this thing was going crazy. It went national. And then with the progression of time, I was reading about some changes that were coming in the Work Health Safety Act of 2015. And when I looked at some of the changes and I looked at the the creation of people who were in charge of a business undertaking called PCBUs, when I had a look at what the fines were going to move to, which was $660,000 plus custodial sentences, I thought, you know, I think we should go into work health safety. So I so that, that would have been, what, 2010, something like that? or It was probably about 2013, I'm guessing. Right? So it was after the WHS Act had... 
the, the, the WHS Act, maybe you're right, maybe it was closer to 10, because the WHS Act had been discussed and they were negotiating, trying to negotiate the states to yeah. accept all of the common legislation. So maybe it was closer to 10 than 13. Yeah. Anyway, cut a long story short, we developed the certificate for, we developed the diploma and we developed the advanced diploma of occupational health and safety as it was at the time. Yeah. And since then, we've marketed as best we can through work health and safety. And we have some very substantial corporate accounts which take safety very seriously for their, their particular employees. Yeah, yeah. So... I'm interested to hear what it was like. Like you said, it was 11 months to become an RTO in 20, 2004. Yeah. So there was a lot of, I'm not going to say bureaucracy, but there was a, a bit of a process to, even back then to become well, an RTO. Yeah, look, I, I think there was two things on foot. I mean, the first thing was that we were, we had very little knowledge about what we were doing. Yeah. My friend had worked for an RTO but had never established an RTO. He, he was your lead trainer, I take it. Well, he was our only person, right. our only employee in the yeah. company yeah. at HBA Learning Centres. And so to that extent, I think we were sort of flying fairly blind. And as we were under a state regulator at the time rather than ASQA, mm. we, we in fact then were told we had to have premises. And yeah. so we had to go out, find premises, put up bond, buy equipment. Then we had to employ a staff member to support him. I just... It went on and on and on, and I'm sitting there shaking my head all through it, Brendan. So, was there any point where you thought this is too hard? I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull the pin, or were you already committed? No, I financially, was yeah. yeah. Yeah, look, it, it, I was committed financially, but I was also committed personally because I'd told my friend I was going to do this for him, and yeah. I was going to do it, and that's what I did do. And then what happened to the recruitment business? Is that still going? Or? Well, no, the, well, the recruitment business, the, the labour hire business was then sold off to the staff. Yep. And the executive recruitment business, I let that dwindle just remaining me. And even to this day, Brendan, I work for some of the very large corporates recruiting most senior people, my very senior executives. Oh, okay. So that's like a, I guess, an extension of your network over the years, or it is. I mean, if you know, my whole history from 1986 through to now has recruitment. So yeah. to that extent, clients have worked with. Me. I've travelled the world many, many times, recruiting out of overseas countries for Australian organisations, mostly large public companies. Yeah. Right. Okay. So HBA today, um, tell us about your footprint. You, so you started, started in Queensland and then what, what was the next step after that? Well, one day our, after about four months, our accountant came to me and she said, Harold, this thing that's happening in Queensland, do you know we're making more money out of that than what we are out of the labour hire business? And I said, what? I took a look at the numbers. So I phoned up my friend and I said, hey, can you tell me, can we do this thing anywhere? And he said, of course, it's a national licence. But I said, okay, I'll run some advertisements. So I put three little line ads in the back of the Daily Telegraph under the training area, and within one week we had sold uh, 36 seats, on 12 on each of three courses. So I phoned him up and I said, hey, look, you'll need to put these dates in and come down to Sydney to run them. And he said, well, I can't because I've got dates which conflict with that, which people booked on them. <laughs> so I said, what will we do? He said, it's very easy. You'll come up here and I'll put you through the qualification. And I said, Brendan, I got on a plane. I went up there and I went through 
mm. let's say, several hours of tuition. Yeah. And then he said, okay, you've got enough knowledge, you'll be fine, off you go. And I never forget in that first course, I'm running the course and people are asking questions and I'm going, I'll come back to that in the afternoon. I'll get to that one this afternoon. <clears throat> and every time we took a break, I'd find, hey, I've had just had this question. What's the answer to it? Yeah. <laughs> so Sydney was our next port of call. And then after that, we tried so hard to break into Melbourne. It took me three years to be able to get a, a, a foothold in Melbourne. It yeah. just didn't work. Then all of a sudden... I don't know whether we were just accepted or what have you, but suddenly Melbourne went well for us. Along the way, we opened up in Adelaide and in Perth and a couple of other branches in Sydney, one in Newcastle. And then with the progression of time, I, I saw some changes. So, for example, when the car industry was, was withdrawing out of Adelaide, yep. I decided my lease there was expiring. I decided to pull out of that lease and to close Adelaide branch down and simply have somebody service that out of our Melbourne office. So we still go to Adelaide. In fact, work health safety is extremely in demand over in Adelaide as far as we're concerned. Okay. When the mining industry hit, uh, the downturn hit, I had I closed down our Newcastle branch because the Hunter Valley was very heavily hit back in those days. Yeah. And so today we sit with Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Gold Coast and Perth as branches of HBA. And then how has, um, like, the whole global pandemic, how has that changed things for you? Well, it, it really had hit us up front. If you look at our business, probably 65% of our business is corporate business, which is large corporates. Like, you know, we, we provide training to people like Clean Away and to Boral Australia, Australian Federal Police, and so it goes on. So what we saw when the pandemic hit was all of a sudden the corporate business died. It just died overnight. So there's 65% of the business flying out the window. So I'm sitting there thinking, hmm, this isn't looking good. And what, what, what sort of staff numbers did you have? Like, oh, well, we were sitting then with something short of 40 people. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of a lot of mouths to feed. It is a lot of mouths. It's a lot of overhead. And then, of course, what happened was something we hadn't anticipated. Within three weeks, we were getting phone calls from every state saying, "Hey, I've been wanting to do this course for ages, and now I'm sent home. I've got the opportunity to do it." So we saw the retail business climb, and we saw the corporate business die. Now, the climb in retail was not as strong, or not as big as the decline in corporate. But we, we managed with the with the JobKeeper supplement, we managed to, to drive our way through. Then we got to October of last year and the corporate business came back. And yeah. we sit here right now, you know, in uh, March of 2021, we've got a board out there filled with in-house courses all over the country at the moment. Yeah. And so have you just sort of stuck with quals? Like you've got TAE and all the work health and safety. Is there any other yeah. area that you work in? Yeah, we do the Diploma of Quality Auditing, yep. and which is um, a popular qualification, and we do the Early Childhood Education and Care Certificate 3 and Diploma. Along the way, I've tossed a few qualifications we had, Brendan. I, I tossed the Leadership and Management Certificate 4, which I had. Nobody here really loved it as a course, and without a champion, it, there's no way the thing is going to survive. I had a diploma, I think it was a project manager. Once again, nobody cared about it here, so we just let the thing, I just took it off of the scope. 
Mm. And in work health and safety, when they brought out the WHS quals, the latest ones in 2019, the advanced diploma has got such a dramatic change to it, I haven't bothered to put the new advanced diploma on our scope. It, it was such a tiny part of our business. Yeah. The majority of work health safety requirements is the certificate for, and to a lesser extent, the diploma. I, I could count on one hand the numbers of people who enrolled in an advanced diploma in any given month. It just was not worth the trouble. And, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like all those quals you mentioned, like TAE is a big driver to do that because you have to have that if you want to be a trainer. Um, a lot of the work health and safety ones, I guess, industry is demanding that you have some voc- vocational training. What's the point where it, I guess, spits over to tertiary education? Like how does, I guess, how does vocational quals, why are they different to, say, tertiary um, achievements? Well, it, it's... The, it's the AQF level mainly. If you think about VET, at the moment we go up to AQF level eight and there is a move at the moment, the AQF is going through a remodelling to reduce the numbers of levels in it. And if you look really at what does a university provide, they're, they're really interested in people who are doing degrees and above, masters, PhDs, etc. And so the the unusual and weird thing is there's no articulation between university qualifications and VET qualifications. And there are many varied reasons for that, which I won't go into because it's too laborious, but successive governments have always said they'll create a learning pathway or an articulation pathway between uni down, but they haven't done it. So, I mean, we get the situation. We, We train many of the trainers in universities because they... A lot of them have VET qualifications to supplement their business. You know, and I've sat in a particular university running a training and assessment course where I've got seven PhDs who are the people that actually design the courses for the university, and they don't think they should be there. And it it can make that a very difficult course to run, I assure you. So you must have really, like, I didn't realise that HBA started in the training sector. Like, the TAA's... TAE has gone through substantial changes in the last few years. How, how have you gone managing that? Because we recently had a, a trainer that went through and, you know, I reckon it's harder than going through a master's degree. Well, I hear that very often, Brendan, the training and assessment cert four is more difficult than a master's. I hear it more times than you could imagine. We, we've, seen, we've seen an enormous change from the days of BSZ 40198 and, and we still have... People phone us here and say, I have a qualification, I just need to update it. And when you talk to them, it's, you know, it's a 22 or 23-year-old qualification. Yeah. It went to TAA, then, then to TAE for a 110, now to 16. I would say that the 16 is a particularly, mm, let's just say, challenging qualification both to run as an RTO and to also do as a learner. It's... If you look at the introduction of the Assessment 502 unit, which is Design and Develop Assessment uh, Tools, that, that is a very difficult unit they've taken out of the diploma. And what mm-hmm. was very strange is that same unit under a different code used to exist in the TAE back in the early days of TAA, rather, 40104. They had a unit in that was pretty much the same as that. They took it out because they said it was too difficult. So, so this might be a bit of a controversial question, but do you think that the new qual spits out a better quality of trainer? 
Yeah, that's a tough question to answer. You know, I, I do think that the quality of the trainer depends on several elements. I think the process people go through, number one, is what's going to determine in largely as to whether they are better or not than years gone by. I mean, I still hear today stories of people who have, are doing TAE 40116 in totem over seven days. Now, I sit there and I wonder how is that possible because I look at our processes, our various ways of running that course, and the good Lord himself couldn't possibly complete that course in seven <laughs> days unless you can RPL it. Yeah. I, I get people phone our organisation every week and they're saying things like, hey, I'm doing this course with such and such. I've got no support. Can I transition to you? Because we've got 24-7 support for people. It's a difficult course. I guess if I had to answer your question, I'd say I think they do, but I'm not sure everybody needs what they do. Yeah. What, what I see, Brendan, is organisations getting smarter. You take the company, for example, called CleanAway. It's one of our major accounts. Their people, all their drivers do a skill set. Now, I'm seeing a move towards skill sets in corporates as distinct from them doing the whole of the TAE, not yeah. in all corporates, but in some. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Like learn the stuff that you actually need for the job, not uh, as opposed to getting a, you know, a qual behind your name for the sake of it. That's right, Brent. I mean, the numbers of times I've heard people say to me, but Harold, I don't do this stuff for work. Why do I need to do this to get the qualification? And I understand their perspective, but unfortunately the qualification requires what the qualification requires. So it seems like this, a lot of this has come out of, you know, the training system being broken in, you know, that education blows up every few years, doesn't it? There's some yeah, yeah. something that happens that, you know, that causes the bureaucracy to or the, the tightening of um, management around training. Look, I, I, I think I'll give you a case history without the name of the organisation, a very large international business headquartered in Australia out of Brisbane. We do its TAE training. They're involved in the mining industry and their people need to have TAE to walk onto site. And the learning and development manager there, she said to me, Harold, I and five of my colleagues signed up to do TAE as 40110. She said, we paid $2,000 each. We stood in line, we signed seven pieces of paper each, and we walked out the other end and we held the qualification. And I think that typifies why they've made 116 so hard to get. You know, there was 830-something RTOs that had 40110 on scope. Last time I looked, there's something around 100 people with the one one organisations rather, with the 116 on scope. Mm. So they made it far more difficult to actually have it on your scope. And I can tell you the audits are very tough on that qualification, Brendan. They are yep. so tough. Yep, yep. How long did it take you guys to get it? Actually, I remember... A few years back now, you were I was over in your office and you were saying how tough it was just to get it on scope. It was very tough. We, we actually took two chances to get it or two actions of getting it. The, one of the trick questions the regulator likes to ask is, how did you determine volume of learning? Yeah. Now, volume of learning really is a theoretical figure, as you know. And if your answer is anything other than by the AQF, then you can't get through. In days gone by, the regulator would not tell you what was wrong with your application. I yeah. understand with the changes to ASQA now that they're actually going to change from, I think it's April, how they deal with such things and using common language so everybody can understand what they're trying to say. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that sounds sensible. Then it's a you know, it's a shared. We're trying to we're working together with regulators to make the training outcomes better for students. So that that mm. all makes sense. Mm, mm, mm. So you've been going for what fourteen about sixteen years now with HBA. Well, a bit longer. Seven might be seventeen years. Um, yeah, I think we were actually got our license. I believe I think it was two thousand and five, something like that. Oh, okay, okay. So, what are the plans for the future? Well, to to continue, just head down, and I don't intend to put any additional qualifications on scope. All of our qualifications are required by legislation in the vocation they're designed to do, and that's why I got rid of one of the reasons I got rid of things like project management and leadership and management. Those things are not required. Mm-hmm. So, so you have to do what we have if you're in those industry segments. We are right now just finishing, and it's taken us six months, just finishing the putting together of, of the new course for the new quality auditing qualification. Mm-hmm. Now, that, it's a huge qualification compared to the, to the 51615. It's absolutely huge. We, we will be running our external uh, validation on it over the course of next week. And hopefully we'll be putting that in for addition to scope over the next month. It's, it's a real job. There's also significant changes to the early childhood education and care qualifications. Yep. They yep. are about to be superseded, but interestingly enough, I see the CAREG signed off on the Certificate 3 but refused to sign off on the diploma last week. So to that extent, they won't bring in the new Cert 3 until they've signed off the diploma. But the changes in those are manifest. And it's going to be very difficult to run those courses, but we will continue to run them. So does that mean you need, you'd, I mean, with that particular quality, you'd need some work uh, workplaces to do pracs and stuff like that? So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the moment, with the three, I think it's 120 hours you need in the work practice, which you signed off in a logbook. The diploma is 240 hours. And we, we, there are certain things you have to do and we have to see and we have to, at the moment, we're having people video those things. But it's... It's a challenge. As a qualification, it's a challenge. And we have a certain marketplace in there, Brendan. It's not like everybody all and sundry come to us because there is government funding for those qualifications. The people that we get are the people that have just moved to Australia from, you know, some of the continents, probably the the main continent or the subcontinents. They come here and we've got a known name to run it amongst those people. And um, it, it works for us. You know, it's not a major part of our business, but it's there. And I believe with the new quals, there'll be very few RTOs capable of running it yep. compliantly. And I yep. know we will be able to do it, but the price, it, it'll escalate by a multiple of three or four over the current price structure. Yeah. So you must have a huge compliance team in there just to keep on top of things, do you? Uh, well, it's, it's actually not. We have a compliance manager, yep. but I, I put on a compliance hat quite often. Yeah. Our trainers, uh, our more senior trainers, put on a role of product designer. Yeah. And so we will form a team when we're going to design things or when we're sitting down and we're going to validate things. And so we all support the compliance manager, but she she really does the whole box and dice. So it's sort of like it sounds like it's like building a house. If you get the foundations right to the qualifications, then everything goes smoothly because they're, they're built right in the first place. Yeah. But we, we are... We're unrelenting in our desire for it to be compliant. We just really are. You get a situation sometimes where learners go, oh, you're so anal, you're so detail-minded. But what happens is you get the corporates. The corporates love us because of that. 
I mean, yeah. one of our bigger corporates is the Commonwealth Bank of Australia. You don't get to deal with people like that in KFC and McDonald's unless you are doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah. Now that that all that all makes sense. Um, okay, Harold. Well, I think that's that gives us a great overview of HBA. And um, what's your website if people want to check in? It's hba.edu.au. Excellent. All right, Harold. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brendan, and all the best to all of your listeners. Bye bye. You've been listening to an ohs.com.au production. I hope you've been enjoying listening to the podcast. If you are, it would be great if you could help us out by leaving us a review and sharing this with friends and colleagues.